Well, good evening. We're thankful you're here this evening for the opportunity to study together for just a few moments. We appreciate uh, the good crowd we had this morning and certainly the good crowd that we have this evening. I've been meaning to say this for a few weeks now, but for the first thing I'm going to need everyone to do is to put the tomatoes down, okay? No eating tomatoes, no throwing tomatoes, nothing during the service, okay? I've, been, I've pulled Tom Levi aside and chided him privately there to quit bringing tomatoes before the sermon. But uh, uh, we, as Hannah actually put it on Facebook the other day, some of you are friends with her or us, but we appreciate people with gardens and people with extras from their gardens. So we're thankful for for that and uh, the race that usually happens out there in the lobby to get your hands on some. So we appreciate you being here tonight. If you've got your Bibles, you can be turning to the book of Judges. We're going to be looking at the book of Judges tonight as best we can. As always, it uh, is our, our goal to, to be timely with our lesson and do so in about 30 minutes or less, hopefully. But to try to cover a whole book is, is somewhat difficult, but I think there's things to be gained. I hope that you've seen some benefit in thinking about these lessons so far. Um, when we think about the book of Judges, you know there is a book of Judges. You can probably name a couple of Judges. And when we think about it, if we really, really think about the ones we know, there's probably a few applications that we can draw. But tonight we want to take a look, again, as best we can in the few moments that we have, to consider the book of Judges, which actually, interestingly interestingly enough, stands in sort of a stark contrast, if you will, to the book of Joshua. Of course, sometimes our lessons vary uh, from month to month, what night, Sunday night, we get to talk about a book, but almost a month ago, we talked about the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, we see the children of Israel faithfully following instructions. I believe, if I remember correctly, uh, I put forth the idea that I don't know how I would react if the leader says, hey, we're going to march around this place, you know, and that's going to do the job. We're going to blow on the horns. We're going to do exactly that. And I I don't know how I'd react. I would probably think he's crazy. But yet there's obedience. We come to the book of Judges and there's a, a very stark difference when it comes to the children of Israel and the way that they're interacting and obeying God. But we're going to talk about that As we go tonight, as usually, we try to give you a brief breakdown of the book. The first couple of chapters, there's really a main section and then a couple of chapters on the beginning and end. The first couple of chapters deal with the political and spiritual conditions in Israel. I had written my notes here and I forgot to mention it. When we talk about the author of the book of Judges, it's not 100% known. Many people attribute it to Samuel. I believe there's a lot of early church writings, what we call sometimes church fathers, those men who were not inspired but sort of recorded history for us, that would attribute it to Samuel. It would make some sense as he was living around this time. But uh, without, without him saying, that, you know, this is Samuel writing this, we're maybe not 100% sure. But when we come into the book of Judges, Uh, We read about the condition of Israel, and we really see in the first couple of chapters the beginning of this difference, that under the leadership of Joshua, and not only that, but as you read this, and I try to always encourage you, I know you don't usually know until the Sunday we get here that that's the topic for Sunday night, but by all means, we're going, you know, book by book, read ahead if you want to, or think about the book, but but if you read the first couple of chapters, not only is it pointed out that they were faithful under Joshua's leadership, but as well, they were faithful under the, some of the elders that outlived Joshua. There was a time and a period where the children of Israel were faithful to God. But when we think about the beginning here, we move on secondly to 
the main theme and the biggest section of the book of Judges. And you may have heard this before. And if you're writing in your notes there, I think there's uh, five blanks towards the front of this that are really close together. But if you put four-part cycle of sin, that should fit in there. Uh, Faith was willing to take the blame this morning too, by the way, for the one. We had a mistake this morning, Bill. We didn't want to tell you. You weren't here, but we had a mistake. Although you all know faith. It was supposed to be people, but there were only four blanks. Faith said she wanted everybody to write peeps. So I don't know if that fit in there or not, but yeah, uh, people are peeps. But so four-part cycle of sin, back, back on track here, sorry about that. Uh, four-part cycle of sin. If you think about the book of Judges, that's the main idea. That's the main idea is this concept of the children of Israel going through this cycle of sin. Now what's interesting, and I hope that you can kind of write this down, make your notes, but really put it into your brain if you've not already heard this before about the book of Judges. But this is what the children of Israel go through. And as we said in our lesson this morning, we're so good at hindsight that we look back at him and we wag our finger and we shake our head and we say, how could you? How dare you? But yet, this is exactly what we go through in our lives many times. Now, some of us, it's more than others. The goal of being here, the goal of this congregation of our fellowship together is that we go not so far into the valley. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't face struggles and and we sometimes go through those, but, but we stay not necessarily even on the mountaintop, but we just stay on a consistent basis following after God. But if many of us will look back, if we'll look back into our lives and think about it, we go through this cycle time and time again. Now, what's interesting, if you do some research or you Google it or whatever, and you look this up, some people will give you a four part. Some people will give you a six part. Some people will give you a seven part, but in general, it's the same concept. So what I have here is one that the biggest one I was able to find of six, but I'm going to break it down into our four for you. First of all, there's apostasy. There's apostasy. That is the idea that Israel, after being faithful or having been faithful for a period of time, would fall into sin and to idolatry. Now, again, we're very quick to shake our finger and say, how could you worship idols? But when we think about what idolatry truly is and we look at our life, then there's a problem there even with us today. Putting things, putting stuff in the place of God in the first place in our life. But first of all, on this cycle, Israel goes into apostasy, or they fall away from God, essentially. Number two, to kind of shorten it down, would be oppression, if you will. Israel is enslaved. They give themselves over to the worship of idols. They turn their back on God. They give themselves over to sin, and they would become enslaved. Now, when you look through the book of Judges, Judges, there's any number of names, any number of people, of kings, of places that you may, maybe can't pronounce when you look through there, but they're going to be enslaved by some of these different folks. Uh, The Philistines, of course, is one that's familiar to us. There are others listed throughout the book, but they're going to become oppressed, if you will. Number three is repentance. Again, a common concept for us. We understand the idea of repentance. It's necessary for salvation, but they needed to repent as well. And as the bottom of this particular picture says, they would cry out to the Lord. They would repent. They would say, oh, we're sorry, at least for a short while. We're sorry that we've acted this way, but they would repent. And according to this particular picture, God would raise up a judge and they would be delivered or deliverant. So if you're making notes out to the side, it's a little easier to understand these four words, but apostasy, oppression, repentance, and deliverance over and over and over again. We could go through it uh, and list all the judges that are there, but the children of Israel, just like us, continue to fall into the same 
paths sometimes. They go through this cycle, and every time a judge is raised up, God hears, God responds, they are delivered. And even again, some of these vary on the number of parts, but the top of this particular one says they do serve the Lord. They will for a little while, but then they certainly fall away again. And that's when things become difficult. And then they have this problem with their idolatry and their sin and becoming oppressed. So this is the main part of the book. This is the main section. Chapters 3 through 16 describe this four-part cycle of sin. And then we get to the back half of the book, or the back part, if you will, chapters 17 through 21. And there's some, what we might call appendices, two appendices there that, of course, really talk about how far Israel's gone. Uh, and, and they did. I mean, we, we are quick today to judge our nation, and somewhat rightfully so, because of the sin that is all around us. But when we think about what the children of Israel did, including oftentimes burning their own children, sacrificing their own children, burning them to some god, they were pretty wholly given over to sin as well. I don't mean to make excuse in any form or fashion necessarily for our country in the sin that we're involved in, but when we look back, Israel had it pretty bad sometimes too and went pretty far when they would fall into sin and to idolatry. Let's talk about some basic facts here tonight as we think about the judges. Now, maybe you know some judges. We all know uh, Judge Judy, you know, the other one, of course, from my time. You may remember Judge Ito, right, the O.J. Simpson trial. There, there's been some judges that maybe you can name. But when we think of the book of Judges, we're not necessarily talking about judicial figures, Again, our concept is somewhat based around our government, the system that we have in place. But the judges that we had during this book, during this time, were not really judicial figures. The only one that we might think of is Deborah. If you go back, and again, I would encourage you during the week to possibly, if you have a few moments or some study, to think about this book. Deborah is about the only one who really falls into that type of category. What we're talking about more is people who are military or political or civil leaders. Uh, I heard one person say it this way. They use the word champion, a champion, if you will, maybe more so than a judge. But when you think about these champions, these men and, and women who they were going to help lead, I don't know if that's even the right term, but lead or guide the children of Israel as God raised up a judge, uh, they were more a champion in this kind of realm than this type of judge that would decide cases, again, in, in the way we think about judges. But usually these champions, if you will, were given simply one task. And that task was to inflict casualties upon the enemies of God. When we think about military or political or, or this type of leader, their one task usually was to inflict as many casualties as possible upon the enemies of God. Now, don't miss the fact there is a great irony here. And we like irony sometimes. We like the way that it, that it works when we think about it. But there's a great irony here. And that is the fact that these enemies shouldn't have even been there in the first place. What has happened is, and we read about the book of Judges, and we're going to look at some verses in a moment. But what has happened is the children of Israel have disregarded God's command to drive out all their people. They did not obey in clearing away all the evil and the sin. And what happens when you've got a crack in the door? We sometimes say we're able to get a foot in the door. What happens then? The door starts opening a little more and a little more. And next thing you know, the children of Israel fall into idolatry and sin and they're oppressed. 
The number one task usually of these judges was to inflict casualties upon these enemies who shouldn't have even been there. God, by design, by plan, would say, go and eliminate. Eliminate all of these people, but they would not do it. And so there's this need for these judges. The judges may or may not have been spiritual. Uh, The only one or one in particular that we think about, excuse me, one in particular that we think about is Gideon. If you think about the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 8, Gideon actually, in the end, made himself an idol. If you think about Gideon, we think about Gideon's great military conquest and his faith in God. But when we see the end of Gideon, he has made an idol. And it says there in Judges chapter 8 and verse number 27 that this idol became a snare to him and to his house. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. So nobody's perfect. We got that. We understand that. We don't remember Abraham for his transgressions. We remember him for his faithfulness. Of course, somewhat the same with King David. But, but some of these folks were sometimes spiritual and other times they were not. The next thing that you may have in your bulletin there, if you're following along, is the three kinds of judges that we see. If we kind of, this may not be, again, all sufficient in the sense that it covers every single one, but there are three main kinds or types of judges that we see. The first one is a warrior. That's what we think about when we think about the children of Israel, the Old Testament, the battles that they were going into, a warrior. Again, Gideon, we think about Samson. There was the warrior type of judge. A second one is the priest. We think about Eli and we think about Samuel. Now, Samuel is not mentioned here in the book of Judges. He's mentioned actually in 1 Samuel, but he would be considered a a priestly type of judge. And then thirdly, a prophet. And again, Samuel is the only one that's going to fit into that type of role, but he would have served as a prophet kind or type of judge. At this point, I think it's interesting to note the judges bridged a gap. The judges in this time period bridged a gap. Think back to Moses. Moses was a single male, a single male in leadership of the children of Israel. Moses passes it on to Joshua. We think again about a single male in leadership over Israel. Go forward over the judges and what comes next is Saul, the first king. Well, between the male leadership of Moses and Joshua, we go forward there into Saul, the first king. The judges at this time bridge this gap in leadership of the children of Israel. One more point here about the judges before we look at some verses. It wasn't a perpetual office. It wasn't something that was passed down. As we get into the kings, we think about children, even in our world today, and children and grandchildren that pass on through a kingship, if you will. But it wasn't a perpetual office. They were there for a short time. And even there was sometimes an overlap. Now, that's not necessarily... Uh, an area like a, a kingdom, a plot of land, but certainly in a time frame. Some people, and when you talk about Old Testament scholars, some people say the book of Judges is between 350 and 450 years long total. 350 to 450 years long in a total time span. So there is even some overlap sometime between these rulers or these champions, if you will. Let's look at a few verses before we make some application. Judges chapter 2 and verses 8 through 10. Judges 2, 8 through 10. Here Joshua, the the Bible records for us, Now Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And skipping on a little bit further, 
And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Again, the concept that we look at is we even pray here and we appreciate our elders and our men who pray. And we talk about our young people and we say, well, they're the future of the church. And some people say, well, they're the church of today. And we kind of go back and forth on exactly what that means. But we're reminded, even from the book of Judges, that sometimes all it takes is one generation. Sometimes all it takes is one group of people who are not willing to follow. As it says here, did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. It's pretty simple sometimes when we think about those who are disobedient. They're simply those who do not know God. Those who are not willing to follow after him. And we make this point here at the beginning of the book of Judges. Because it sort of sets the tone for what's going to come afterwards. Judges chapter 7 in verse number 2. We remember Gideon's valiant 300 who are listed there. Judges chapter 7 and verse number 2. The Lord says to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Again, we don't often remember Gideon's, uh, his idol that he created, but we remember what happens with the valiant 300, the way that it's pared down and the way that the number keeps coming down and down. And just like the New Testament, do you remember the words of Jesus? What does Jesus say? Those who are going to be first need to be last. Those who would be the greatest would be the least. And we have trouble comprehending that in our mind. It sounds backwards. God says it's not about having 500,000 men. It's not about having 1,000 men with the best horses and the best arrows and the, most, and the best army you can have. It's even just a few. Because God doesn't want anyone to say, my own hand has saved me. That story of Gideon, we teach our children. But we need to be reminded that we do, or that we should trust in the Lord whether it comes to a battle, which thankfully we don't have to fight in the same sense today physically, not actual bloodshed as there was in the Old Testament, or the battle that we face in our everyday life, the peaks and the valleys that we go through. God is there with us, and he wants us to remember that throughout our lives. And then Judges 21, 25. Judges 21 and verse 25. It's the end of the book. It's the very last verse. It's actually recorded earlier in chapter 17 as well. Maybe this is one that you are more familiar with. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. When we consider that, that statement, when we consider what that's really saying, we do feel like our country sometimes today is like that. We do feel like sometimes that the world is just a terrible place. There's so much sin. But the concept, again, the basic fact is still there. When we do what we think is right, when we do what's right in our own eyes, whether that's the preacher or the elders or the deacons, whether that's anyone in Saudi Daisy or Chattanooga or the United States of America, anyone in the world following what is right in their own eyes is going to find themselves usually at odds with God. It's going, they're going to find themselves in this cycle that we've talked about and looked at even tonight. And that's certainly the sadness, the sad message that goes along with the book of Judges. A few applications or lessons for us tonight, and the lesson will be yours. First of all, we must strive to finish those tasks that God has given us to do. In Judges chapter 1 and verses 27 through 36, we touched on it a moment ago, but we read there about the children of Israel who 
the Bible that I'm using, and I know that uh, I mention that sometimes, it's just a particular study Bible, but it says the incomplete conquest of the land. That's the heading in the one I'm using. The incomplete conquest of the land. We must strive to finish the task that God has given us to do. The Israelites failed. They failed to fulfill their duty to fully drive out the Canaanites. Again, notice if you've got your Bible there, Judges 1, 27, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants. 29, nor did Ephraim. 30, nor did Zebulun. 31, nor did Asher. You see where we're going on down? Look down at verse 34. Dan didn't do it. But the Amorites actually forced the children of Dan into the mountains, for they would not allow them to come down to the valley. If we do not remain fully faithful, if we do not remain faithful unto death, as Revelation 2.10 says, we cannot be saved. Paul said it as well in 2 Timothy chapter 4 in verses 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is a constant theme throughout the Bible, whether it's Judges, whether it's Noah, whether it's what Jesus says or Paul says, there's a constant theme of finishing, getting through to the end, not stopping short. We must finish the task that God has given us to do. And this, with the, with the nation of Israel, with those who are there, we see firsthand what happens when people decide to just stop just to give up their short of the goal god said do this they decided to do that and what happened is the cycle began the cycle began over and over and over again number two when humans ignore the will of god and pursue their own interests disaster results when humans and by the way this would be even as an individual or as a nation When humans ignore the will of God and pursue their own interests, disaster results. Even as we read a few moments ago from the end of the book about doing what was right in their own eyes. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. That's the way that we think of. That's our way that we choose to do it sometimes. When we go after that, the end is death. In Judges chapter 3, there in verse number 6. It's recorded, and they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. Now, without the full context there, you may not know, but I bet you're willing to guess that's not a good thing. That doesn't sound like encouragement there. Israel practiced idolatry. They took the pagan wives. They angered the Lord. And we, of course, must learn from their example. We must keep our lives pure we think about the list that paul gives in philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8 of the things that we're supposed to think of the things that are pure the things that are lovely the things that are true we should do our best not only to keep the church pure but to keep ourselves pure and by the way they're connected if i keep myself pure i help keep my family pure you help keep yourself pure then we're going to have a pure church here not perfect but pure when we think about doing what god has told us to do disaster only usually comes. We mentioned it in our Bible class here in adult classroom number one this morning, and I think we've mentioned it in previous sermons, but how many times we shake our fist at God and we ask, why? Why am I here? What have I done to deserve this? And sometimes we're not connecting the consequences that we're suffering with our choice. If we could rewind the tape about a day or two or a year or two and see some of the choices we've made, we might recognize that this disaster on our hands comes simply because we've decided to do what we 
wanted to do. Number three, we must watch the company we keep. We must watch the company that we keep. Now, Samson, of course, is our main example of falling in with the wrong crowd. And when we think about Judges chapter 14 and verses 1 through 3 there, we see that Samson falls in with the wrong crowd and he's going to pay the consequences. There are, there's going to be a disaster that results. We think about 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 33 about being not deceived that our evil company, our evil companions corrupt good morals or corrupt good habits. There's a lot of truth there. Who we choose to surround ourselves with is very important. We may not always get the choice. We definitely don't get the choice about our family sometimes. We may not always get the choice about our coworkers. If you're like me, I worked around some folks for many years who I love dearly, were kind people that I enjoyed being around. I, I worked around some folks that I, I could have just done without. I'd rather not have to run into them or deal with them every day because they were going to be difficult. They were going to be a bad influence or a bad example. Again, whether it's chapter uh, six there, or excuse me, chapter three and verse number six, or Judges 14 as we think about Samson, it's important that we consider the company that we keep. And then finally this evening, there is a tendency for human beings to repeat their own mistakes. There's a tendency for us sometimes to fall into that rut and to continue to repeat the same problems over and over again. As we said from the very beginning, the main theme, and I know sometimes preachers say, if you don't get anything else from this, well, if I had to say it tonight, if you don't get anything else from this, think about that four-part cycle and think about our lives. The book of Judges portrays a repeating cycle in which Israel does this, these same four things, turning away, repenting, coming back to him, being faithful for a short time, over and over and over again. They're always coming back to God. And sometimes that's the same thing for us. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 21, Peter says, For it would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. And we know verse 22, But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, A dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. When we talk about things that sometimes don't make sense in our brain, this is one of those verses for me sometimes. You mean that God would say that he would wish that some people wouldn't even know him? You mean the Holy Spirit would guide Peter to write these words, that it would be better for somebody not to know God? Maybe if their choice is going to be to turn their back on him later. We don't want anyone to not know God. We want all to come to the knowledge and come to repentance. But those who would live their lives in such a way of being unfaithful, of turning their back on him, of repeating these same mistakes, it's going to be not good for them. And he gives us those two pictures there in 2 Peter 2.22 of the dog and the pig. And it's imagery for us to consider of being faithful unto death. Tonight, as we conclude this lesson on the book of Judges, I, I hope that maybe you're reminded of something that you've studied before. I hope that um, maybe there was something new along the way. But I really hope that you can make some application to your life. It's hard sometimes. I know we don't live under the old law, and, and you know that as well. But, but there really are some lessons there. And if we are not careful, if we do not study, then we'll be doomed to repeat the same mistakes. It's easy to get caught up in sin. And if you're like me, maybe there's been times that you've recognized later, before you even realized how far you'd gotten, that you were caught up in it again. 
Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. You need to commit your life to God by putting Christ on in baptism, having your sins washed away. We'll be singing in here in just a moment to encourage you to do that. It's the greatest commitment you can make. Committed to God, fully serving Him, but yet we do fall away. Maybe you fall into that category. Maybe you see yourself more like the children of Israel. Maybe you're here tonight in sin and there's sin in your life that you need forgiveness of. We would, would gladly pray for you and with you. Or even as we've done tonight, having a sister ask for a prayer, we can encourage you in some way as you go on your Christian walk. You see, the children of Israel, these judges, they should have all been working together to further each other, to further the kingdom, to follow after God. That's what we're after. And we'll be ready and willing to help you any way that we can as we stand together and as we sing.